freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark. Welcome, one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com, the network's website, oraclebroadcasting.com. Today is Sunday, August 19th, 2012. The show is live every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. That's 4 to 6 p.m. Central. We have a great show planned for you here today, and it is going to be a controversial show indeed. Today on the show, we're talking about the ultimate expression of domination, carnism, the religion. And that's what it is if we're honest with ourselves about killing that uh, has the main belief system of killing animals and eating their dead flesh to, quote, nourish ourselves. We're going to be talking about carnism in no uncertain terms here today. No punches being pulled on what on earth is happening. And let me give the tagline for the show before I even offend anyone. Get as offended as you like as Uh, regarding what's going to be said on the show today because it's going to be hard hitting and as I said it's going to be very controversial and what I'm going to do at the beginning when we get into the subject matter is really define what the word controversial means because it's a word that's actually been hijacked in the English language and we don't really understand its real meaning so carnism a topic that I may be covering for two weeks I don't know Uh, depends on how quickly I can get through this material. It's a whole lot of material and it's information dense. So that's the topic coming up for today and possibly next week. Future topics are going to include women's role in the non-support of dominators. Remember, we're still on the subtopic in the solutions section of the non-support of dominators and that's why carnism plays such a big role in this. Again, as I said it's the ultimate expression of domination, the taking of another's life. So um, we're going to talk, continue this topic uh, for as long as it takes to get through it and then I'm going to be talking about women's role in how they can influence men who are dominators in their lives, 
how they can be a strong supporting influence uh, in helping men to get over this need to dominate others and to want to be part of this chain of obedience. Women can help with that task of changing their minds. And they can step into that in a powerful way. That's going to be coming up in a week or two on this show. Then we'll be doing two entire call-in shows on the topic of the non-support of dominators, which we've been talking about for many weeks. And before we even get to that, I, I want to reiterate this in the weeks before we lead up to the show. I am going to have prerequisites if you want to come on this, onto the show, if you want to call in and speak about carnism. Only that topic will have a prerequisite or a limitation placed. If you want to talk about any other area of domination, of the non-supportive dominators, it's completely open lines. But if you want to talk about carnism, particularly if you want to speak in defense of carnism, I'm setting a ground rule for the show, for these two shows. I'm allowed to do that. This is my radio show, and if I want to set a ground rule for a topic of discussion, I think that's perfectly fair. So, the only ground rule when we do these call-in shows in a couple of weeks, if you want to speak on carnism or the support of carnism, is I will first ask you if you have seen the movie Earthlings in its entirety. That means from beginning to end, not in chunks or sections. Have you sat down and watched that movie in its entirety? Then you can talk about carnism. But I'm not taking calls on carnism from anyone who has not seen the movie Earthlings from beginning to end. That's the only stipulation. That's the only ground rule I'm setting for the discussion on the non-support of dominators. Because I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to want to call in and talk about the topic I'm going to introduce today because of how controversial it is. And we're going to, again, define what that term really means here today. So... Um, that's coming up on what on earth is happening. I have many event announcements, so please bear with me. And this is, uh, again, some people like that I do this, some people don't like that I do this. I feel this is one of the most important aspects of the communication on this show, is explaining to people what events are going on in your area. This is, Philadelphia is my area, that's where I'm from. I'm going to use this as a platform to promote other local activists in what they're doing. So, um, and that's also to influence other people to get involved and be active and create a community in their area. So I think this is one of the most important aspects of the show and I will be continuing to give local event announcements that are happening here in my area for the people that listen to this show in this area so they know what's going on here. Um, other people who have events in their area, you should do anything you can to promote them and bring other people out and get them actively involved in spreading the message of true freedom. So many events coming up here, it's very busy. Things are picking up. I mean, it is the year of prophesied change, 2012. And I mean, things are really accelerating and ramping up. And that is shown by the level of activity, things that are going on. So the Free Your Mind 2 conference, of course, coming up next year. This is going to be the biggest event in this entire area in 2013. April 25th, 26th, and 27th, 2013, Free Your Mind returns to Philadelphia. 
a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. Free Your Mind 2 returns to Philadelphia in 2013 with a three-day conference featuring top caliber, caliber whistleblowers from across the country who will shed light upon our world's problems and bring forward empowering solutions. This unique event will build upon the success of the first For Your Mind conference with a continued focus to spread awareness on the topics of consciousness, mind control, subversive occult influences, holistic body, mind, spirit, health, and solution-oriented approaches to the problems humanity faces in these challenging times. Uh, challenging times, an understatement to say the least. The dates, April 25th, 26th, and 27th, 2013. Doors will open at 8 a.m. on each day. The location is the beautiful Arch Street Meeting House, 320 Arch Street here in Philadelphia. Admission prices for the Thursday conference, $30. For the Thursday evening speaker meet and greet, with light vegetarian and vegan fare, $20. For the Friday conference, $40. For the Saturday conference, $40. For all three days, including the speaker meet and greet, if you want the full package, a $10 discount on the whole price, $120. Tickets are already available. If you want to get your tickets, reserve your tickets in advance, go to the conference website and there's information there on how to get your tickets. The featured speakers so far, Alan Steinfeld, Alfred Weber, Andrew Bashago, Ben Stewart, Bob Tuscan, Curtis Davis, Freighter X, Freeman Fly, Jan Irvin, Jay Parker, Joseph Meyer, Laura Eisenhower, myself, Mark Passio, and Mark Peebler. More great speakers will be added as the week's go on here leading up to the conference. We are already talking to a, a few other people and we'll be announcing confirmations probably as early as next week. So for more information on this great event coming up here next year in April here in Philadelphia, visit www.freeyourmindconference.com. That's freeyourmindconference.com. We really need help and assistance in organizing this conference. If you are in the Philadelphia area, please, if you want to be involved in the organization of this conference in any way, uh, give me an email. Send me an email at mark at whatonearthishappening.com or mark at freeyourmindconference.com. Uh, we still need organizers to help. We, we do not have enough help. I'm sending this call out publicly. We do not have enough help this year as it stands. We have a very small core team of organizers who cannot do this alone. We are admitting that we cannot do this with the numbers that we have. We need more conference organizers who are serious about this, who understand why something like this needs to be done, who understands the issues involved and can dedicate some of their time to helping with this conference. If you are in the Philadelphia area and you want to dedicate some time to or helping to organize this conference, please get in touch with me. Okay? So, uh, in regards to help with the conference, uh, from a 
uh, monetary perspective because people don't just fly themselves out and lodge themselves. Of course, to bring people together, which is what a conference means, con meaning together and fere meaning to carry or to bring, bringing people together has costs associated with it since people in this world still believe in money, unfortunately. I wish it weren't that way, but to bring these people to a live venue, to gather them together and have a great event like this, we are going to have uh, costs associated with that. So to offset those costs, we're going to have a series of fundraisers and we're going to bring people powerful information and entertainment in these fundraisers. The first Free Your Mind 2 conference fundraiser is coming up here in Philadelphia on Saturday, September 15th, 2012 at 8 o'clock p.m. at Liberty's Pub, Liberty's Restaurant and Bar. Okay, Liberty's is in the Northern Liberty's section of Philadelphia at 705 North 2nd Street. That's the corner of 2nd and Fairmount. It's going to be a $15 donation at the door, and this fundraiser will feature a special presentation by me called The Matrix Trilogy Decoded. I'm going to break down the entire allegory of the Matrix Trilogy movies and explain what it really means. Decode the entire allegory for people in a unique presentation. People have been looking forward to this for quite a while. I'm going to do it as a special part of this fundraiser coming up on September 15th at Liberty's Pub here in Philadelphia, 2nd and Fairmount, 8 o'clock p.m. All proceeds will go toward offsetting the costs associated with bringing in out-of-town speakers for the conference in April. Conference tickets will also be available at the conference fundraiser. This is fundraiser number one. There will be several more before the conference arrives. Okay, so the next event announcement is the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity screening and documentary screening and discussion night. This is always free. This is always on the last Thursday of every month at Essene Market and Cafe, 719 South 4th Street, the corner of 4th and Monroe in Philadelphia. This will be taking place Thursday, August 30th from 6.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. This month, we're screening the film Original Intent, by James Yeager. And James Yeager, the filmmaker and producer, will be present to introduce the film and then take questions at the end of the screening of Original Intent Part 1. It's a three-hour film. We're going to show Part 1, an hour and a half of it, at the first um, screening night this August. And the second one, coming up in September, we will complete the film Original Intent Part 2. So this is going to be an epic documentary, and it's going to be an epic documentary night at a scene because we're going to have the filmmaker of the film, James Yeager, who also produced Fiat Empire, the, the film he's probably best known for, introducing the film and taking questions at the end. So it's going to be a great night. Come on out to Truth, Freedom, Prosperity's free monthly documentary screening and discussion night, Thursday, August 30th at 6.30 p.m. at a scene food market in Philadelphia. For more information on this event, go to truthfreedomprosperity.org. The End the Fed Rally for Philadelphia will be coming up on September 22nd, Saturday, September 22nd at 12 o'clock p.m. 
This is part of the larger nationwide and the Fed event that's going to be taking place at every single Federal Reserve Bank in the entire country. If there's a Federal Reserve Bank in your area, there will be an event, an end the Fed event taking place at it on September 22nd. It's a nationally coordinated event. I have been asked by the coordinators of this event to speak at the Philadelphia and the Fed rally that's going to be happening Saturday, September 22nd, 12 o'clock p.m. in front of the Federal Reserve branch in Philadelphia at 6th and Arch Streets. So um, I will also actually be speaking with many other great speakers. I don't have the full list, but I do know that Larkin Rose, a good friend, uh, he has been on this show. He was a speaker at the first Free Your Mind conference. He will also be appearing as a speaker at the Philadelphia and the Fed rally Saturday, September 22nd at 12 o'clock p.m. in front of the Federal Reserve uh, Bank, Branch Bank at uh, 6th and Arch Street here in Philadelphia. I'll have more uh, specific details on this event as it approaches. For more information, you can go to truthfreedomprosperity.org or you could also go to the nationwide and the Fed site at endthefed2012.com. That's endthefed 2012.com. I will also be speaking at the Pennsylvania MUFON East Coast Conference coming up at the end of September, September 28th, 29th, and 30th at the Sheraton Bucks County Hotel, 400 Oxford Valley Road in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. There's many other great speakers for this event, including John Ventry, Frank Fischino Jr., Sue Switek, Karen Dolan, Stan Gordon, Travis Walton, Rob Switek, Peter Robbins, Grant Cameron, Richard Dolan, Stephen Bassett, and myself. And I've just found out that I've been put uh, as the last speaker on Sunday, right before the panel discussion. I have a, a great spot. I'm really thrilled that they've uh, given me that later spot, and um, I think it's going to really be a great night. Lots of great speakers on Sunday, uh, including myself, Grant Cameron, Richard Dolan, and Stephen Bassett. Uh, my presentation at this conference for the Mutual UFO Network out of Pennsylvania will be entitled Morality and Disclosure, Moral Issues Involved in the Continued Cover-Up of Extraterrestrial Phenomena. It's a topic I don't often get into, especially here on What on Earth is Happening. I have spoken on it at uh, past conferences, but um, this is um, a great opportunity with a lot of uh, phenomenal speakers. For more information on this conference, please visit MUFONPA, that's M-U-F-O-N-P-A dot com, or you can also visit MainlineMUFON.com, a group that I also uh, work with here in the uh, Philadelphia area, uh, in the suburban region. Um, MainlineMUFON.com is their website, and you can click on Annual Conference to uh, read bios and topics of the speakers for this conference. Okay, I was on the show called Unpend on the Critical Mass Radio Network out of the United Kingdom. Unpend with Paul Ripon. I did this show uh, this past Tuesday, and it is now up in the news section of the What on Earth is Happening website. So you can check that out. I got into 
uh, psychopathy heavily on this show and the, the topics, the, uh, the characteristics of a psychopath. And um, this is something that I think I'm going to actually talk about a little bit when we talk about carnism. Because carnism, particularly the practice of actually doing the slaughter of these animals that are then consumed, actually creates secondary psychopathy. That is one of the effects of working in a slaughterhouse is that you actually become a secondary psychopath. Even if you weren't a primary one genetically, it can actually make you into, through the desensitization to suffering, into a secondary psychopath. And that's one of the dangers which we'll be talking about today. The last uh, event announcement I have is that the ad-free chip-in for the show stands at $700. We need to raise $1,000 by the end of October. So uh, I want to thank everyone who has contributed. Uh, it has gone much better than my wildest expectations. Uh, please continue to uh, make your generous donations. Uh, any, every little bit helps, and uh, it is all heartfeltly appreciated. And um, we can get powerful information out without the kind of, kinds of interruptions that you know, we were used to here on the show. So let's get into our topic for today. And again, as I said, this topic is quite controversial. So what does controversial really mean? And uh, by the way, all of the slides that I'm going to be referring to can be found on the whatonearthishappening.com website. Go to the radio show page and right underneath the player for the radio show, you will see images for today's show. As always, these provide numeric links. You can click them and follow a slideshow of uh, images that, that deal with what I'm going to be talking about here today. Uh, the first image was for the Free Your Mind conference. The second image was for the uh, fundraiser. The third image was for the MUFON PA East Coast conference. The fourth image were on the entire topic, the entire um, section of this uh, radio show slash presentation that I call The Way Out, which is all about solutions-oriented approaches to the problems that humanity faces in consciousness. Image number five simply is the listing of the grassroots solutions that I talk about here on the show. Ten of them overall. Uh, we've gone through all of the ones in the left-hand column and are making our way through the right-hand column now with the non-supportive dominators. We've already actually looked at the de development of mindfulness. Coming up on the show, we will talk about using entheogens or psychedelics in a positive conscious context for transformation of consciousness, the power of positive thinking, and the uh, responsibility that we have ultimately once we have taken enough information into ourselves to then help others to awaken by putting information out there freely for other people. That's coming up. Uh, we are, of course, still talking about the non-supportive dominators with the topic of carnism being, as I've called it, the ultimate expression of domination. And again, this is a controversial topic. We're looking at image number seven now on the slideshow. The word controversial is radically misunderstood in the English language. Radically misunderstood. People think, due to repetition and obfuscation, and simply accepting the connotative meaning of a word, but never looking at the root meaning of the word or the etymological meaning that 
conveys so much more and deeper information about the true intent and the true meaning of the word. Through this obfuscation and this repetition mind control technique, we have come to believe and accept that the actual true definition of controversial simply means debatable or disputable, something that is arguable and can be debated. That is not, let me emphatically state, that is not what the word controversial means. The word controversial comes from and is derived from the Latin language. The Latin prefix contra, and you can look this up in any Latin dictionary, um, any physical Latin dictionary, you could download um, uh, digital Latin dictionaries, so you could look it up, you could use online ones and confirm this. The word contra, which is the first part of the word controversial, means facing, face to face or against, up against, okay? And that's when we're talking about opposition, oppositional, okay? Contra, it means up against, face to face with. That's what the first part of the word means. So what are we face to face with or up against? Well, we need to look at the second part of the word, versial. This comes from the Latin verb, verso, versare. And this means to change or to alter. And a lot of people say, well, that word means to turn as well. Yes, verso, versare also does mean to turn. But it doesn't mean physical turning, like the turning of a doorknob. It means changing, like the turning of the seasons. Transformation, one thing turning into something else. That's the, the actual meaning of when, when we're talking about which concept of turning the word ver verso versari means in Latin. It means to change into, turning from one thing to another. Okay, metamorphosis, transformation. And that's what controversial ultimately means. It means coming face to face with changing. Coming face to face with having to change because information has come your way and has explained what really is versus what you previously believed about it and stayed attached to the belief about it. And that's why this topic is controversial, not because it's really debatable, not because that there is holes in the argument I'm going to make. I'm not really making an argument. I'm going to state the truth about what is in nature, what actually exists. I'm going to state the truth about what this religion is about, R regardless of whether anyone thinks that it's a religion or not. That is, in fact, exactly what it is. I'm going to state the truth in moral terms about what we're doing to ourselves as a result of continuing this practice. And I honestly am finished caring who it offends. Like I said at the top of the show, get as offended as you like. It doesn't make a difference. When we're up against truth, we either have to change or we are going to experience horrific consequences. And that's not the only reason we should choose to, to engage in the truth and to align our, our behavior with truth. Not just for selfish reasons. Ultimately, we have to do it because we understand that it's the truth. And for no other reason 
because serving the truth ultimately is the will of creation for us. And if we do that, we're not going to create any self-inflicted suffering and we'll ultimately, ultimately be able to create whatever we want out of this construct that we call physical reality. We will be able to manifest our real desires. And I'm not talking about lesser, lower desires, base desires. I'm talking about creating what is truly beneficial and good and orderly and beneficial to evolutionary progress in consciousness for ourselves, the higher uh, self, ultimately. So controversial means, absolutely means, face-to-face -face with changing, having to look at yourself in the mirror and say, now that I know this, I know that I'm going to have to change. And I'm going to tell an anecdote about that when I realized this. I won't do that right now. I'll do that later on, possibly even next week, depending on how. I have a lot of information to get through. This is, again, going to be an information-dense program. So I've briefly told the anecdote on the show before, but I'm going to reiterate it and explain to people how I went through this process from carnism to uh, abandoning carnism and how long that took for me. So um, it wasn't an overnight process. Although when I did start it, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be. It was actually much easier. So let's define what I mean by carnism because carnism is not a term that most people readily recognize or have a working definition of. And we're moving to slide number eight now. Carnism is what people have traditionally referred to as uh, being a carnivore or a meat eater. Okay? It's sometimes also referred to, to as being an omnivore. Omnivore, carnivore, meat eater. These are terms that explain the practice. Omnivore, carnivore, meat eater. But they don't explain the underlying religion. The belief system that is inside someone's psyche that drives that behavior. A behavior that they would not want done to them, but yet they want to do to other beings. Okay? And that's ultimately the only thing that really needs to be understood. The, we could go on forever talking about health concerns and health arguments regarding this topic, but all that ultimately needs to be understood is if you don't want something done to you, you should not, you should not do it to anything, anyone else at all. You should not do it to other beings, period. So, when we're talking about killing, if you don't want to be killed, when we're talking about being eaten, if you don't want to be eaten, you shouldn't be killing and eating other animals. And that's all it ultimately comes down to. This comes down to the principle of ownership. The, the absence of aggression, the absence of domination, the principle of self-ownership, the principle of non-aggression, the principle of non-violence to others. That's all it comes down to. And this is intimately and inextricably connected with human freedom and why we don't have it, why we're not free beings. This is one of the reasons we are not free beings. When you understand the, the law 
of correspondence, not the suggestion of correspondence, not the guess at correspondence, the law of correspondence. See, that's the entire problem, folks. In a nutshell, people do not know that the law of correspondence is in effect. They believe in their erroneous religious belief system that that is somehow a belief. It's not called the belief of correspondence. It's not called the suggestion of correspondence. It's a law that's operating in nature, just like any other physical law, like gravity, like electricity. You know, the laws of electromagnetism, the laws of gravity, these are laws that exist. They're binding, binding. They are immutable. For something to be a law, it is binding and is, it is immutable. That's what an, a condition known as a law is. It's something that is unchanging, cannot be changed by man because man did not create it. Nature put it into effect. And it's binding whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not. It is in effect and you are affected by it. And this is what man does not want to be. Man does not want that to be because ultimately the, the true disease in the psyche of man is that man wants to be God and make the laws of nature. And you're not that. You are not that force. You are a part of the totality of that all-encompassing force and intelligence, but you are not it yourself. And therefore, you don't get to make that decision by yourself just deciding arbitrarily what will be. It's up to you to perceive accurately that which is and then live in accordance with it. That doesn't mean not to try to change the willful behaviors chosen by other people, chosen willfully by them when they have a choice not to act a certain way. So it doesn't mean don't try to change the external conditions that are created by behaviors through people's choices. That's what we're here to do, to influence change in that regard. Once we understand the definitive difference between right and wrong, we then have a moral responsibility to work to change that dynamic for the better. So let's look at what this concept of carnism is. This is a belief system. It's a religion in the true sense of the term religion. People do not think of it as such, though. They think it's just a practice, but the practice isn't the important thing to look at. More so than the practice, the most important aspect to look at is the belief system that underlies the practice that's not based on any truth, that's fundamentally, that's based in fundamentally flawed axioms. An axiom is an underlying belief structure. And when you build something on a foundation of junk that isn't firmly rooted in truth, you're only going to build disorder and chaos. And the entire religion of carnism, okay, is a religion that is entirely based upon violence, which is an inherently fundamentally flawed axiom regarding how we should conduct ourselves in the world. It is a fundamentally flawed axiom. 
So I define, and others have defined carnism as a dogmatic religion. It is a religion in the true sense of the term, that which holds us back, that which binds us, ties us, holds us back from forward progress of where we want to go. A dogmatic religion based entirely upon violence, the main belief system of which is, is that it is morally justifiable and or necessary to kill animals and eat their dead flesh. That is what carnism is. That's not my belief about what carnism is. That's not just my definition of it. That is what the belief system of eating animal, dead animal flesh is. It is a religion based entirely on violence. And its main belief system is that it is somehow morally justifiable and or necessary. We're going to address this term necessary, okay, to kill animals, to slaughter animals at your whim and then consume their dead flesh. That's what carnism is. And I call it, my term for it, is the ultimate expression of domination. There is no higher expression of one life form dominating another life form than completely murdering it and then consuming it, eating its flesh. If you don't want that done to you, you probably should not be doing it to any other animal or being. Because the real expression of the golden rule of the law of correspondence is that which, see, this is, this is the way it wasn't stated in the New Testament. The way it was stated is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But that doesn't really get into the why you should act like that. Why should you behave in such a modality? Well, the reason why, and this is even, this is just a lower reason why, you know, this is a selfish reason why you should do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The reason is, is because the, the real law of correspondence is going to state that as you do unto others, that will be done unto you. That same modality of behavior and experience you will have to experience for yourself. You will have to experience it, it being done unto you because this entire universe is a construct that acts as a mirror. What we are pumping into its field of intelligence, it is dynamically changing itself. That's why it's called the, the universe, the one change, universare, the one change, the one thing changing. It it reforms itself. It rearranges itself to bring us the experience that we put forward into it. The energy we pump into it through our consciousness and the expression of our consciousness, our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions will ultimately be re-expressed back to us. In other words, we are reaping what we are sowing. We are experiencing that which we are putting out. So the reason to live in harmony with the golden rule of do unto others as you would have done unto you is because as you do to others will be done unto you. That's just the way the universe works. That is the way the law of correspondence works. And that is not a belief system. I, I can't state it 
enough. That is not a religious belief. That is a universal scientific law. Let me state that again. The law of correspondence is not a religious belief. It is a universal, universal, meaning everywhere in extant reality, no matter where you go, it is true and in effect. Scientific law. It is a universal scientific law. It is a reality. And it is our job to recognize it as such, to understand how it works so that we can bring our decisions, our behavioral decisions into alignment with this higher spiritual law and stop creating self-inflicted suffering for ourselves. And that is what the main reason that really carnism should not be being practiced by human beings. It is morally wrong because it is based on violence, which is always immoral, and it is an expression of the domination of other beings. And if we don't want to be dominated, we should not be engaged in domination. Now, we can get into other ancillary arguments about it, but ultimately that trumps any of the physical five-sense world arguments or concerns of this topic in general. The moral issue trumps all of anything anybody wants to bring up about health aspects. So now that we have defined carnism, I want to start talking about what this practice does and why people continue to make arguments that it really has to be continued. Why do people argue that this is something that we have to keep doing, that we can't stop eating animal flesh? We can't stop eating dead animal flesh. We have to continue that. The three basic things that people bring up, the arguments that they will bring up all the time, you'll, you'll never hear a carnist really deeply delving into the moral issues. You'll never hear them talking about the, the unimaginable suffering of animals. And again, I'm going to link on this podcast the film Earthlings weeks in advance of the call-in show. If anyone's going to call in and talk on this topic, your views are not going to get on the air on this program unless you've seen the movie Earthlings in its entirety. If you want to talk on that, that's what I'm asking in payment for coming on my show. You will have to watch the movie Earthlings in its entirety, all the way through. And do it without looking away from the screen. How about if we add that as a stipulation? Because I've done that twice in my life. And let me tell you something. If that doesn't make you sick, if you're not physically sick like I was, when I watched the movie Earthlings, I was curled up in a fetal position completely sick. And you know what? That's the beautiful, perfect, successful intent of that film. And I, I want to thank its filmmakers for making me that ill. I want to thank the filmmakers, let me say that again, for making me feel that sick. I understand exactly what you were doing in the making of this film. And the amount of courage that it took to make the film is, is colossal. 
So I'll be linking that film for those who haven't seen it, and I would probably suggest that it's, it is the majority of people on the earth who haven't seen that film. And I guarantee you there's plenty of people who want to argue for carnism who won't watch that film. They'll keep making their, you know, completely inhumane, immoral arguments, and they won't bother to watch that film. But if you're going to want to talk on this topic on my show, you're going to have to wa have watched that film. Otherwise, you're going to be abruptly and rudely cut off and hung up on. And I have the right to do that. You want to talk on that topic? You're absolutely free to do so. I'm also absolutely free on the show that I conduct to decide what topics will be discussed at a particular time on the show to give airtime to, to give precious airtime to. And I usually have a totally open floor. But for this topic, since it's two call-in shows on the specific topic of the domination, the withdrawing our support from the domination of other beings, the non-supportive dominators, for the one subtopic within that subtopic of carnism, if you want to bring up anything regarding it, the prerequisite is you will need to see the film Earthlings from beginning to end in one sitting not watching it in tiny little pieces because you couldn't take it all at one time. You reserve the time and then actually do it. Watch it from beginning to end. Then I'll be willing to hear what you have to say. But until then, in all honesty, I'm not interested in what you have to say on this topic. Unless you've watched that film, I'm not interested in your uninformed opinion on this topic. Okay, because my my entire response to someone who will just wholesale advocate this religion is maybe it should be being done to your children. Maybe it should be being done to you. Sometimes that wouldn't even get somebody's emotions up in an uproar. You know, you want to advocate this being done for other beings. Maybe it should just be done to you. Or how about we do it to people you love and care about? How about we do it to your children? You know, you're not putting yourself, you're never seeing the suffering of another from your position. You're not putting yourself in that position, I, I should say, seeing it from their position. You know, stepping into, into the shoes, into the experience of another. And I, I'll say, you want to also have a look at what goes on? Type into Google Images. Go to Google.com, hit Images, and then type into there, Animal slaughterhouse. It's probably a phrase I'd, I'd suggest over 99% of people have never typed into the Google Images search engine. Just do that and take a look at what really goes on in the, quote, meat industry, the murder industry, the bloodletting industry, the altar of sacrifice industry, because that's what it really is occultically. The poisoning of the entire morphogenic energy field of the earth industry. Let's call it what it really is. The total pollution of the energy field in which we all live. That's what the meat, quote, meat industry is. Have a good look at a lot of those images, you know, which I did before the show and probably put some of the most tame images that I found into the slideshow for today. 
And there's some out there, I'm telling you, that it, they will weaken you to your soul if you have any humanity within you. Weaken you to the very level, the core level of your being. For those of us who aren't already turned into secondary psychopaths or who weren't born as the freaks called primary psychopaths, which we're not really going to get past that condition until we really understand the genetic manipulation that has been done to this species. Another topic I haven't really gotten into hardly at all on this show and only briefly touched upon it in presentations I've done elsewhere. So the advocates of carnism, of this religion, let, let's call it what they are. They are acolytes of this religion. All right? They are adherents to the religion of carnism. They make th the three ends argument, it's called, and this is known as um, the normal, natural, necessary argument. I believe this was uh, coined by Melanie Joy and others. And uh, Melanie Joy is a, 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 a psychologist who talks about the deep underlying issues within the human psyche, the attachments to this belief system that ultimately drive this behavior, that underlie this religious practice. And she does a phenomenal job helping people to really understand the core belief system that underlies carnism. I'm going to post a video by her as well, which I also highly recommend. Because it really gets you looking in the mirror, the video I'll post by her. Melanie Joy, Dr. Melanie Joy. Um, and hey, by the way, I'll just throw it out on the show now that I've mentioned her name. If anybody has a contact for her, uh, I'd love to have her come and speak at the Free Your Mind 2 conference. So I've not been able to get in touch with her. I've actually made an, an effort to do so, but it has not been successful. So I would like to get in touch with Dr. Melanie Joy and invite her to come to the Free Your Mind 2 conference to talk about the religion of carnism and why it's one of the main things that's holding humanity back from its evolutionary progress and its true freedom. So I'll throw that out as an official public invite. And if anybody has contact information, like I said, just get in touch with me. So... The normal, natural, necessary argument, as expressed by Melanie Joy and many others. Let's look at these claims. Th th these are the physical five-sense world, five-sense uh, arguments for carnism. And I'm just going to emphatically state at the beginning here, none of these hold any moral truth at all. Not only do they not hold any moral truth, they don't hold any scientific truth. There is no scientific evidence to support these claims. They are misunderstandings at the very, very best, and they are pure fabrications to deliberately deceive and mislead at the worst. The three ends argument is normal, natural, necessary. This argument is provably false, immoral meat industry propaganda. Ultimately, that's what it is. And people who are buying into these arguments have bought into mind control techniques. They've bought into mind control methodologies that have been started by the meat industry because they realize that there is a seed that has been actually put forth into the earth. 
a seed of higher consciousness that is an expression of the non-aggression, the non-violence principle. And they don't want, they want to smother that seed. They don't want it to express. They don't want it to grow because that will mean less profits for them. That will mean their gravy train that they've been on since they've got so many people believing that this practice is normal, natural, and necessary will dry up if people really awoke to a higher level of consciousness regarding the immorality of this religion called carnism. So what is the normal, natural, necessary argument? It states that eating meat is normal. That because so many people are doing it, that it's okay. That it's normal. You want to be normal, don't you? You don't want to be that freak who doesn't do things that other people do, who, who is, you know, alone in the crowd, do you? See, th this is a psychologically persuasive argument, not born in facts. It's born in fear. It has nothing to do with science and knowledge and morality. It's all based in fear. It's all based in erroneous perception and the management of that perception, which call it whatever you want. I call it what it really is, mind control. That's what perception management is. So the normal argument is simply conveying what the dominator culture, the local operating system of domination, is telling people is normal. It's not what's right. It has nothing to do with, with what's right. It has nothing to do with what is just. It certainly doesn't have anything to do with what is true. All it is is playing on perception. You want to be like the crowd, don't you? You don't want to stand out, right? No, because standing out takes courage. Doing what's right takes courage. It takes going against the grain. It takes swimming upstream, the courage to swim upstream. It, it's, it's the courage for the individual to stand up against the group. And that's the second part of the term, con that's the green language part of the term controversial. See, it's contra, meaning up against or face to face with, versare, meaning to change, and I-A-L. In green language, it means face to face with changing, I versus the all. The I, the individual versus the group, I, all. Face to face with change, I, all. And that's not an accident. And people can make light of that all they want. I know people just totally ditch on the language of the birds and don't understand it because they're so trapped in the left brain. I get it. I get that you don't understand the, what occult language is about. I get that you mo many people don't understand that there is a hidden language that the universe is speaking to us at all times and places trying to wake us up because the universe wakes us up through archetype, language, number, shape, and form. Vibratory energy. It doesn't wake us up through English words. This is coming in through those archetypes, through the language that we have constructed. So ultimately, the deeper part of ourselves is trying to wake us up through the language we've constructed. That's what green language is. And there's so many people that absolutely do not get it and aren't going to get it. They don't want to get it. 
Because to get green language is to develop a deep understanding that you're living in a magical reality. You're living in a reality that is so far stranger that you, than you could even possibly conceive. Because again, it's ultimately you reflecting back to you that which you really need the most. That's what this whole thing is. To learn and grow. So, the normal argument is all based on follower mentality. You have to want to be a follower to accept this first part of the argument of normal, natural, necessary. It is the entrenched and instilled beliefs of the dominator culture that make something normal. And all you're doing by grafting onto that belief is you're accepting that belief system that's based in domination and violence as your own because you don't want to stand out or be a unique individual. You want to identify with groupthink. I'm telling you, I didn't become vegetarian for health reasons. I didn't become vegetarian as part of any damn trend. I could care less what a trend is going on. I became, health, I became vegetarian for moral reasons that are based in truth, that are based in nature's laws, cosmic, universal, spiritual laws. When I recognized that, and I recognized that my actions were in, were in opposition to that higher spiritual law, I could not reconcile those things. I could not say, well, I know this knowledge. I have a deep understanding of this knowledge, but my behavior is in opposition to it, and that's okay with me. No, it wasn't okay with me. I came face to face with changing myself What I is what I had to change. And I ultimately made the decision to go through that process of change. So we'll continue to talk about this after this very brief two-minute break. We'll be right back here on What on Earth is Happening to continue to discuss carnism. All right, folks, we're back continuing to talk about carnism as the ultimate expression of domination over another being. Part of our non-support of dominators solution section here on what on earth is happening. Let's jump right back into this topic. We were talking about the three ends argument of carnist, the normal, natural, necessary, with normal being the really representative of simply the normal, quote-unquote, normal belief of dominant culture, or the dominator culture is more accurate to say. It is based on follower mentality, groupthink, and collectivism. Follower mentality, groupthink, and collectivism. And has no regard for the actual moral issues involved, as does the natural and necessary argument. Now, natural I'll spend a little bit of time on and necessary as well because people believe erroneously through their religious belief systems that it is man's natural state to consume the dead flesh of other animals that he has killed. They believe that that is somehow the, quote, natural order. 
which is the complete antithesis of the true natural order. This is based on complete lies and disinformation regarding the linear progression of man's evolutionary progress on the earth and it is based on Darwinian theory. This notion that the species with the biggest claws and sharpest teeth come out on top when it is ultimately truly the most conscious being that is the highest aspect or highest expression of nature's order. It has nothing to do with the most vicious being. As a matter of fact, that's the thing that probably holds back the evolutionary progress the most, that bestial form of consciousness. So the, this practice of carnism has nothing to do with nature, with us just being uh, natural predators and that being part of our nature. Part of the ar this argument is, well, we see other animals that this, this is their being, this is their nature, and they eat meat, they consume other animals, so why shouldn't we do it? Well, the first and foremost answer to that is we're not the same kind of animal as them. It doesn't make a difference what somebody else is doing. This is the same argument. If you see other people jumping off a bridge, would you go and do that? Well, you would be the same level of retardation and stupidity to just do that practice just because you see it being done by those who are lower than you. Animals are a lower form of consciousness than human beings. There is a differential in conscious awareness on their part. This isn't some kind of myth or belief system. There is such a thing as different levels or different places that we are in consciousness. And human beings arguably, hey, I have to qualify that, should be at a higher level of consciousness than animals. That isn't to say we're not part of this kingdom that we call animalia, the animal kingdom, the animal world. We're an expression of animal life. And, and that just comes from the Latin term anima, which means soul, imbued with the soul, an individuated expression. That's all it means. We're different than the plant kingdom in that regard. The plant kingdom is connected to the earth soul. It is not that we aren't, but we are an individuated expression imbued with movement, able to actually be, you know, not grounded in the earth, in its soil and move freely upon it and possibly even beyond it. That's what makes an animal different than a plant. Because people will, one of the arguments we'll get into when we get into the occult side of things, which will probably be next week. Uh, there's so much information to cover on this topic. I mean, I may go three weeks on this topic. Who knows? But um, part of what we'll talk about is the argument people make, well, if eating animals is wrong, eating plants is the same thing. And it's also just as morally wrong. And I'm going to refute that argument and explain to people, yes, plants have a form of consciousness, but what you have to look at when, when you understand the deeper occult spiritual aspects of this, that means the hidden spiritual aspects of this entire concept of stopping eating animal flesh. When you try to apply that to plants, the same thing doesn't hold true because they do not have the individuated expression of consciousness. And yes, that does matter. Yes, that is for real. It's not something that is imagined. You can come to understand that if you do enough seeking, deep internal work, and reading. 
to understand the laws of assimilation, which we're going to talk about when we talk about the occult aspect of this topic. The law of assimilation is what we have to realize when we're talking about what we should be putting into our body in the first place. And meat is definitely one of the things that is going to make the body the most imbalanced and unhealthy. And I'm very, very profoundly sad that I didn't grasp this at a former time than I did earlier. It could have made my journey so much easier and I would have come into good health before I had to go through absolutely horrific um, things with my health and overall feeling and well-being. And again, that's even just not even to just want to make yourself healthier and feel better and be more energetic to take on a plant-based diet. That's even the ancillary reason, as I've said. That's the secondary reason for wanting to do it. That's still a selfish motivation. The non-selfish and ethical motivation needs to be the alleviation of suffering for other beings. Because if you're not concerned with the alleviation of suffering for other beings, then you're helping contribute the dynamic to the dynamic of enslavement. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, they make these other arguments about meat being killed humanely. Oh, these animals are being killed humanely. Was that humanely slaughtered? Hey, the taking of a life by violence is the taking of a life by violence. You don't own that life to take. It's not yours. Otherwise, it would be called your life. A cow's life is not your life. And that's another thing. If you're going to speak in defense of carnism, I, wa I want you to be able to make the statement, I own other animals' lives. I want to hear that actual phrase leave your mouth before I want to know, people to know that's your belief system. That's what you believe before you speak in defense of it on this show anyway. You will have to at least make that claim. I want you to have seen earthlings in its entirety and I want you to make the claim that another animal's life is yours. It belongs to you to take. You can make those claims. You could talk on the defense of carnism, at least for a time. You know, I'll give you the floor for a little while to make whatever point you're going to make. But uh, unless you're going to be willing to come on and bear yourself in that way to people, I'm honestly not interested in hearing from you on the on this particular topic. So um, the natural argument is based on Darwinian theory. And it's based on this erroneous idea of linear progression of civilizations as well. If you really get into it, it's making the argument man is designed somehow to eat meat. And we're, we are a part of this, quote, natural pecking order. Oh, before I get back into that, I just wanted to very briefly uh, continue to address this topic of humanely slaughtered meat. There is no such thing. That's a complete absolute misnomer and another thing that the meat industry put out there to try to uh, allay people's consciences and not to get them to think about what really goes on in slaughterhouses. And I'll tell you another thing, people think that, oh, you know, different religions have different ways of taking the animal life. One of the absolute worst forms of, of meat butchering and slaughtering is the kosher form of it because the animal is fully conscious upon the life being taken. They're not, you know, given a stun shot to the brain so that there's brain death before they're actually killed. Their throat is slit without any, anything, just a totally conscious. And th there's an image of this being done in a full video of this being done in Earthlings. Watch it. You know, you'll see the inside of a kosher butchery and just see the kind of suffering that goes on there. 
And it's just unbelievable that people can just think that there is any kind of a humane or religiously acceptable means of taking an animal's life. It's killing another being. That's what it is. And then you're eating something that's already dead. The life has left it. It's already dead and you're eating, eating it. You know, we have to understand what's really being done to the morphogenetic field, the energetic field that we're all living in as a result of this suffering being pumped into it on a daily basis. And let me tell you something, who's behind this industry is the dark occultists. Dark occultic religious belief systems lie behind this continual and perpetual altar of sacrifice. If you still don't understand, that's who's behind the poisoning of this energy field that we're all living in and ultimately creating the entire enslavement system, you, you don't understand anything. It's not just political. It's not just financial. It has, it's, has, it's bigger than banking. It's bigger than money. It's the old religion. That's what the dark occultists themselves refer to it as and it's the religion of domination it's a religion that some people are going to be god here on earth because they detest and despise nature's law so much that they are going to rule in hell rather than serve in heaven and they're going to become god here that's their ultimate religious belief and that religion spans all cultures, all places on the earth, all exoteric religious backgrounds, regardless of what exoteric religion the person happens to be claiming that they come from. It spans all races, all religions, all um, walks of life, every institution on the face of the earth, every age range, the sexes, you name it. Because the occult is not limited to any one particular organization, institution, cultural background, or religious background. There's people involved in it from every walk of life everywhere on this planet. And people need to understand that dynamic. Because they get hung up in it's this group or that group or this group or that group. So... Let's look at more about this natural, quote, it's natural argument. It's also based in this idea that just because something's been going on for a certain amount of time, that somehow lends legitimacy to it. And that's some kind of a, a complete logical fallacy. It doesn't make a difference how long something has been going on the way it's been happening. That will never make it right. Wrongs could be going on for millennia or even millions of years and still be wrong. You know, to make the argument, well, man's existed in this condition for, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of years. Well, who's to say that it shouldn't be that way? The laws of nature is to say that it shouldn't be that way. This behavior is a choice that can be stopped at any time. It's not something that we need. I'm going to get to that part of it. They, they'll say it's necessary. And just because something's been going on for however many enormous number of years is never going to morally justify it. You know, that's like saying, well, human slavery has been going on for tens of thousands of years. What, why do you have such a problem with it? Um, maybe because it's morally wrong. How about that? It doesn't make a difference. It's, it's, it's a complete non sequitur and, and logical fallacy entirely. 
You're, you're bringing up something that has no, time scales. It has nothing to do with morality. It doesn't matter how long something that's immoral has been going on. It's never going to make it into something that's moral. And here, the other part I call the we are argument. The we are is part of this natural, that it, meat eating is natural. People say, well, we are hunter-gatherers. You know, we were hunter-gatherers for our, our entire evolutionary progress. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as we are, something that we are. We can consciously direct our evolution if we are in conscious control over our thoughts and understanding what's really going on in our motivations, in the deep recesses of the human psyche. If we're aware of that, then we are in a position to be able to consciously evolve ourselves. And there's no such thing as we must be this thing forever. We can will ourselves to be something beyond that. The we are argument. There's no such thing as what we are. We are what we choose to be. That's another thing that really we have to really deeply understand ponder, think about, contemplate. You know, there's no set way things have to be. We can consciously choose to make something different and be something better than what we are. That's what evolution is all about. The willful conscious choice to be something better than you were in the moment before. That's what evolution and consciousness is about. So we are what we choose to be. We're capable of consciously evolving past where we quote unquote are by an act of our will, capital W, will. Another way I would say this is we will be what we choose to be. That's our choice. No one else's. The, the, the only thing that's not within our will to choose is what the laws of morality are, what right and wrong is. That's something that's set and immutable. It's, it's extant. It is inherent to creation. It's like saying, I don't like that stars are stars. I want them to be something else. I want the, the, the sun to be something other than what it is. It's a component of nature. You're not going to change that. Oh, maybe you could develop some kind of technology that destabilizes it at some point of uh, you know technological growth, but ultimately you're not changing that which is. You're not going to make a star into an apple, okay? Nature created it. You're not going to make what you want out of it. And this doesn't just apply physically, of course. This applies to the moral laws that are inherent to creation, which I have called natural law and what I'm now increasingly simply terming universal spiritual law to avoid the entire confusion and the hijacking of this word natural because in connotatively in people's diseased mindset they believe that this word means something completely erroneous and completely actually antithetical to what it really does mean diametric opposite to what the word natural really does mean and again, natural comes from the term netter in Egyptian. It is the netter all, the spirit all, the all spirit. Everything is spirit. 
This is a spiritual construct for experience. And it is all based on the laws of spirit. Cosmic or universal spiritual law, which I have been calling natural law. But again, I'm actually moving away from that term because it's so hijacked. The term natural, people think it means this, quote, Darwinian natural order. That isn't even what Darwin said it, people think it means. You know, he was saying there had to be a lot of evidence in the fossil record to support his theory. That's never been found, and yet it's been turned into a religion, which is what Darwinism is. It's another religion. A completely dogmatic belief system not based in truth that holds humanity back from forward progression, evolutionary progress, and consciousness. That's what Darwinism is, just like Carnism. So the we are argument needs to be completely and wholesale rejected. It is a logical fallacy in and of itself. And it, it you know, it shows the worldview poisoning. Because th that's the dynamic that this entire natural argument is based upon. What do you think human nature is? What do you think the possibility for change is? If these aspects of the psyche about how we view these dynamics of the world that we're living in and our expression of consciousness is poisoned, I've called this worldview poisoning. These are the type of thoughts we're going to have. These are the type of views we're going to hold on to. And they're completely imbalanced. They're completely poisoned. And ultimately, they keep us in a state of powerlessness. And the only way to get beyond that point is to heal worldview by understanding what true human nature is about and understanding the value of individual life. We talked about this in the section. As a matter of fact, that was like the first real solution I got into was worldview poisoning. I believe that's the first solution on the, uh, the um, grassroots solutions for positive and lasting change that we listed and talked about. If you don't heal the worldview, nothing is going to be orderly or healed from that point forward. You're not going to create any kind of positive expression or manifestation if your worldview continues to be poisoned. And this is part of the natural argument for carnism that we have to get past. The third is necessary. And the main expression for this, people actually have made biological arguments, uh, I'm sorry, not biological, um, ecological arguments for why we have to keep eating meat, which is, is so ridiculous I'm not even going to talk about it because the meat industry is one of the biggest ecological polluters of the entire world. And if you look at how much um, if you just look at the stats regarding um, how much it, um, it, environmental degradation it takes to raise a pound of meat versus plant food, the, the, it, the, the stats are absolutely staggering. You know, I mean, we're doing so much destruction to the environment by the practice of animal rearing, animal husbandry, uh, and, and carnism that it, it's almost incalculable the impact that this is having on the living system of the earth. The main 
aspect of the necessary argument isn't even just this ecological one, this ridiculous ecological one. It's the fact that we need to consume meat to be healthy. And this is complete logical fallacy as well, as I'm going to explain. And this is all born in meat industry propaganda. Part of the uh, argument that was made for this um, was done in the work called, the book called The Vegetarian Myth by Lear Keith. And I do encourage people to read this book. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to tell you don't read the propaganda for the other side. Absolutely check it out. I'd try to suggest borrowing it so you're not giving money to a diseased worldview like that but or trying to find it online. But um, when, if you read this book with uh, open eyes and ears, if you read this book understanding the worldview poisoning aspects, if you read this book understanding the attachment – the ego attachment that is born, that is, ha, has reached full expression in many people, and you understand the lack of willpower on people's part and ignorance on people's part regarding what real, how real health is generated through nutrition. This woman seems to make convincing arguments to people who are not really in the know because she argues these things normal, natural, necessary. That's the main crux of her argument. Very much um, ignores and takes the emphasis off of the actual suffering of these beings, the actual suffering of the animals. She knows hardly anything about real nutrition. She doesn't understand nutrient density in plant-based foods, how to unlock that, how to take that into the human body. She was doing veganism all wrong, completely wrong. And I'm, I'm not even going to completely advocate just a vegan diet. I don't have a problem with the vegetarian diet or what some people have called the non-strict uh, vegetarian diet, one that incorporates uh, dairy products, which are animal byproducts. If you want to go full vegan, wonderful. Make sure you understand the health concerns associated with that to do it and do it the right way. This person was not doing it the right way. And then blaming the dietary choice itself or lifestyle itself because she didn't have the full information regarding how to do it right. You know, she's put pushing this paleolithic diet, which again is another form of meat industry propaganda and poisoned worldview based on this Darwinistic notion of linear evolution, uh, linear uh, uh, civilization, linear progress of civilizations. So she makes erroneous statements in the book as well, saying that, you know, we have a dietary need for saturated fat and cholesterol, which we don't. The liver makes the amount of cholesterol that we need and we can get all of the essential fatty acids from plant-based foods. The essential fatty acids can be taken in from the plant-based foods, the things that the brain actually needs to build the neocortex of the brain, the whole brain, but specifically the neocortex, which is responsible for higher order thought function and truly human characteristics and especially conscience and more moral concerns. All of that can be gotten through plant foods. I'm going to talk about 
what is necessary by the body and talk about what plant-based foods we can derive those nutrients from. And believe me, they're in these plant-based foods in, in, in dense quantities. There's no reason that the human being now or ever needed to actually consume dead animal flesh. This is a myth. This is something that has been propagated by people who want this practice to continue unabated and unchallenged in the mind. And it's provably false. The idea that it is necessary to eat meat is provably false. First of all, I don't need, I honestly, you know, people who, who love the entire backing up every single solitary claim that is ever made by the human voice, you know, they want me to provide actual claims for this. And I'm going to. I'm going to actually provide the claims, what is necessary by the body, the, the knowledge of what is necessary to be taken into the body and what plant-based foods we can get that from today on the show. And the, the problem here is that people actually don't think that simple experience is proof of the in, invalid nature of the belief that you need meat. I'm a healthy, energetic, intelligent, vital being, and I do not consume dead animal flesh and haven't for five years. Five years ago when I went through a deeper aspect of the awakening before I started speaking, I finally reconciled this immoral behavior that I was participating in with the knowledge that I had taken into myself and I willed myself to stop doing that immoral practice. So what we have to understand is there are people who are simply living proof, experiential proof that that argument is a logical fallacy and have been for hundreds of years. We're going to talk about that more when we get into the occult side of things. I'm going to be bringing up work by uh, high-level Rosicrucians and Freemasons on the topic of the immorality of the consumption of animal flesh. I'm going to be looking into the works of Max Heindel probably next week on this, this topic. Uh, from the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception. And I'll, I'll post links to all of this information as well with this podcast. We'll be getting into the law of assimilation. We'll be, uh, I'll be reading excerpts from the um, uh, document known as um, Vegetarianism and Occultism by the Freemason C.W. Leadbeater. And it's a phenomenal short essay, I guess you could call it, it's not really a book, that really gets deeply into the moral reasons and the occult reasons for ceasing the practice of carnism. So the necessary argument, let's take a look at some of its claims. There's this thing known as the protein myth that you can only get the proteins needed for the human body by taking in animal flesh. And this is incorrect. This is a, a logical fallacy that is repeated. It's a myth that is believed in by people. Let's take a look at what the body actually really does need. The body does need protein. This is true. The, the fallacy comes in that the proteins that we need can only be found in animal matter, in animal, dead animal flesh. And that's not the case. Okay? The amino acids that we really need by taking in protein and having the body break it down 
that's what the body really needs through protein. So there are tons of plant protein sources. And if you're being a vegan and you're not getting enough protein in your diet, it's because you're doing it wrong. If you're a vegetarian and you're not getting enough protein in your diet, it's because you're not eating right. You don't have enough information about what the body needs and the particular foods that contain those nutrients in high enough densities and you're not put adding those into your diet on a frequent enough basis. And that's it. That's why people fail at veganism and vegetarianism. They don't have the complete knowledge of what needs to be taken into the diet on a daily basis. Protein sources in plant foods come from the following things that you need to add into your diet if you're a vegetarian or a vegan. Legumes, which is lentils, beans, and peas, and chickpeas. That's what you need to take in. That's a big source of protein in the vegetarian and vegan diet. All forms of legumes. Soybeans, which are not technically categorized as legumes, but if you add soy, tofu, tempeh, tempeh probably better because it's a fermented form of it. A lot of people say that it doesn't have some of the uh, possible bad health benefits of some soy products when it's taken in high amounts. Um, I think soy should be used sparingly and legumes should be one of your main sources of protein. Grains also have proteins. You can get good amount of protein from millet, from quinoa. Quinoa is an excellent source of protein that's a grain. Um, a lot of cereals, boxed cereals, if you're going to eat that, you know, people who, you know, I guess don't uh, engage in mostly raw food diet diet when it comes to veganism aren't going to touch processed foods like that. But cereals have protein in it as well through the grains. Rice has protein. Oats has protein. Wheat, again, it has gluten in it, which is shown to be somewhat uh, detrimental to certain aspects of health as well, but it has protein in it. Uh, dairy products have protein. Milk, cheese, yogurt. Eggs, of course, have protein. Nuts and nut butters. So peanuts, almonds, walnuts, cashews, pecans. There's basically protein in all nuts and nut butters. Seeds have proteins, have protein. Sesame seeds. Um, chia. Um, I'm sorry, not chia. Um, pumpkin seeds. Sunflower seeds. So tons and tons of plant-derived protein sources. For people to say you need to kill animals and eat their flesh to get the protein you need in the human diet is erroneous. It does not hold any scientific weight at all. It's an invalid claim. We need calcium in the human diet for bones. You can get that from soy, tofu. You can get that from cereal grains as well. Okay, you can get that from... Uh, Kale. Kale has protein in it. Broccoli has, I'm sorry, calcium. We're talking about calcium now. Kale has calcium in it. Broccoli has calcium. Bok choy is another excellent source of calcium. Legumes also have calcium in them. Again, lentils, beans, chickpeas. Nuts and nut butters also have calcium in them. And seeds also have calcium in them as well. So more, more, plant 
vegetable-derived sources, seeds, legumes, plants that have tons of calcium in them. And if you're not eating these foods on a daily basis, you're doing vegetarianism and veganism wrong. The human body needs iron. Iron is in many different plant-derived foods as well. Strawberry, tomatoes, broccolis, peppers, etc. Zinc. Zinc is needed in the diet. It's found in grains, wheat, tofu, nuts, seeds, beans, peas, lentils, and cereals. All right. Vitamin B12. This is one of the big arguments against uh, that people bring up against um, vegetarianism and or veganism. Well, vegetarians don't really have any problem getting enough B12 in their diet because if you're going to eat any eggs or take in uh, milk, there's B12 within those, uh, those things. Uh, vegans ha uh, will often have to supplement their diet somewhat with uh, things that are in, that, the things that have B12 within them. Soy beverages, nutritional yeast, and cereals uh, are important when it comes to getting enough B12, vitamin B12 in the diet. And it is an important vitamin. It can be done with a vegetarian diet and it can even be done in a vegan diet, in a vegan lifestyle. It is not impossible. It requires some will in order to do it and do it properly. And people who aren't doing this properly want to blame the entire lifestyle and the, the choice, the moral choice, and say somehow it's necessary that we need to take in dead animal flesh. And again, I would say what this really is, if you really read the vegetarian myth and try to psychoanalyze what's really going on in this person, she doesn't have enough knowledge, she harmed her body through the ignorance that she did this uh, type of diet with. She didn't go in with full knowledge, she harmed her body, developed chronic disease as a result, then tries and turn it around and blame it on something other than her own ignorance. And that is what's going on psychologically with uh, Lierre Keith. It's transference of blame to someone who, to the, the actual practice of vegetarianism and veganism, not her ignorance, which actually caused her conditions. And she's not only in a physical condition, I would emphatically state she's in a, psych a condition of psychological imbalance. And this, this is evidenced, evidenced greatly by some of the statements that she makes when she talks about when she broke her vegan, quote, vegan. I want to say that also emphatically. She didn't really live a vegan lifestyle. She binged on meat because of urges that she had. That's not being vegan. Being vegan is not eating any meat products, any animal products at all, okay? Even animal-derived. Vegetarian, you're, you don't eat meat. You don't eat any animal flesh. You will use eggs, uh, cheese, milk, etc. So dairy products and plant-based foods. But uh, she um, did not engage in real veganism, number one. So that's a misnomer when she claims she was vegan for decades. Isn't accurate. And secondly, she also um, betrayed the psychological underpinnings that were really going on in her mind when she basically talked about when she broke her, you know, vegan streak and started eating fish again because she loved tuna fish. 
and she made the statement that when she ate the, her first tuna fish sandwich after you know being vegan for so long that she couldn't even believe the the uh, uh, absolute um, incredible uh, euphoric feeling that she got. You know, every cell in her body was tingling. You know, she put it like, and uh, she she said, "Wow, this is what it really feels like to be fed and to be alive." No, incorrect. That's what it feels like to be an addict and to be getting a fix because you're still not willfully strong enough to overcome an addiction to an immoral practice. And you're still so hung up on how it makes you feel, meaning not the real you, the higher case S self you, but the lowercase s, the sense self, the five sense self. She's so attached to how that felt. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. No one in my entire circle of friends and family, and you can ask anyone, anyone who knows me, anyone who knows people who know me, I challenge you, call them, write to them. Ask people if there's anyone they know in their circle of friends that includes me, okay, if they know me personally, when I was a meat eater, when I was a carnist who could put away more meat than me, I want you to go and ask them. And Seriously, I know personally no one else I'm not saying there's there's tons of people who are like, you know, professional eaters and, you know, uh, um, they're, um, what do you call it, uh, competitive eaters. I'm not saying I can put away more meat than anybody. I'm saying in my circle of friends and family members, I was able to put, put away more meat than any other person that I know personally in my life. That's what I am saying. And that can be corroborated by asking anyone who knows me. The amount of meat that I would eat when I was younger, you would have a hard time even conceiving of it. I, I'll tell an anecdote right now. We went to a place here in Philadelphia. I won't mention the name to plug it, but it's a, uh, a restaurant that brings you, continuously brings you meat that is grilled in a uh, South American barbecue style uh, way. And uh, basically they give you it's like a total decadent thing. They give you a chip on your table that has a green side and a red side. Literally, this is true. Um, and you, you keep it on green if you want them, upon seeing that your plate is empty of meat, to come over and bring you more different cuts of meat. And when you're finally full or sated, you flip it to the red side and they know even if there's anything on your plate or even if your plate's empty, don't bring any more because you've had enough. And we went there. Barb and I went there years ago when we were both still carnists. We were, um, uh, it was some, some occasion of someone's birthday or something. We went there with a large group of people. There might have been like 12 or 13 or 14 people. We sat around a big table at this South American barbecue style restaurant and uh, we you know, all started with our chips on, on green and started going and they started bringing us food and at the end of the night, everyone was so completely overstuffed and just, you know, gorged, literally gorged. And me and one other friend 
were sitting there with our chips still on green. I'll say his name. His name was John. We were sitting there. He was a, a, a former um, uh, boyfriend of one of Barb's friends. And he was you know, kind of a big guy. And me and him are sitting and just going toe-to-toe, talking about the different cuts of meat and just gorging ourselves. And everyone else was long done. And we were still eating like for 45 minutes after everybody had stopped. And they're just watching us, like laughing that we could possibly put away that much meat on our own. And I think I even slightly outlasted him when he finally flipped over his chip. Mine was still on for like one more bit, barely, you know. But uh, that's what kind of a meat eater I used to be. So again, in many of these cases, when it comes to mindset, when it comes to morality, when it comes to excess, I was one of the worst offenders. You know, I think that actually places people in a deeper position of being able to turn themselves around. It actually almost gives them the benefit or the edge. You know, this is the concept of the lukewarm or in the worst position. Those who are the hottest, in other words, they're in the the deepest chasms of consciousness. They have an opportunity to see. It's, you know, that maybe you don't really see the reflection until you're almost at the very bottom of the chasm of that floor, then you finally see your reflection in that, and then you have an opportunity really to spring up to the highest, uh, you know, heights. That's kind of the way I look at it, because if someone like me can do it after the level of attachment that I had to meet, then anyone can. And I'll, I'll just tell you another brief anecdote that I said I was going to get into. When I first made the decision to stop eating meat, it was after seeing the movie Earthlings and basically I had cognitive dissonance going on within my mind and many other people will be experiencing this if you're honest with yourself you know and you're still engaged in this practice and you want to see real freedom and you you know want there to be actual peace and nonviolence on the earth and you're honest with yourself you're probably in this condition of cognitive dissonance trying to reconcile uh, oppositional behavior with knowledge of right and wrong and I, I was in this state for a while after seeing that movie and I made like sort of a subconscious promise to myself it wasn't even a promise it was a, a deep realization and a recognition that now that I know this now that I know what really goes on now that I know what I'm a part of indirectly I'm an indirect part of it you know and that's saying it nicely that's even a euphemism what what I'm really talking about is I'm a participatory member of violence by proxy and murder by proxy so I knew that I was contributing to that dynamic and don't get me wrong don't think that I'm saying one person stopping eating meat changes the whole dynamic no it's all about amount. For a quantum effect to build and then express, a certain amount of people have to make a, a choice within harmony with natural law. So I'm under no delusions that just me doing this stops it somehow. Oh, it's going on unabated. We could talk about numbers, and I will get into numbers. But, you know, I decided that, again, it's me versus the all. It doesn't matter what the all is doing. I need to worry about what I'm doing. What are my actions contributing to? Am I part of the dynamic 
of the creation of that suffering? Am I part of the dynamic of the uh, negative injection of energy into the field of consciousness that we're all living in? And the answer was yes. I had to ask myself the question that I tell people to ask in slide number um, 11. You know, after I, uh, I'll talk about numbers a little bit and I'll ask that question, but it, it's essentially what, what am I contributing in the way of energy, pumping energy into this dynamic on earth? Am I on the right side of that equation? Is, is what my behavior is doing contributing to the negative energetic dynamic on earth? And the answer was yes. And therefore, I had to approach it apophatically, meaning from the negative perspective, meaning I need to stop doing something that is harmful. Am I engaged in harm or indirect harm? That's the question. Then stop doing that action. It's the apophatic pathway to truth. Is this behavior engaging in harm? Does it include engagement with harm and engagement in the violence ideology, the ideology of violence and domination? And if the answer is yes to that question, then you have to apply apophysis to your behavior. And apophysis is the method of saying no, the practice of saying no, pulling back from that which is doing harm. Again, I've said repeatedly, over and over again, it isn't so much about what we need to start doing. It's almost entirely about what we need to stop doing to create freedom. We're holding freedom back by what we're doing. We stop doing those things. Freedom is the natural expression. It is the actual base underlying form of everything. We just need to learn how to be in that state of consciousness and stop doing what we're already doing. Unfortunately, you know, we've come to such a, a horrible fall in consciousness that our, our condition, the default condition that we have created is that, you know, tyranny and enslavement and oppression and violence is like the default condition here on earth. Well, the only way to really change that is to stop engaging it, stop supporting it, stop obeying it. Stop complying with it. Saying no. Apophysis. Pulling back from engagement in actions that are immoral because they cause harm. Then the manifested result will be peace, order, harmony, freedom, and justice on earth. Until we pull back from those behaviors, don't expect any of those things. Don't expect them to magically manifest while we're still engaged in harmful, immoral behaviors. The, the laws of nature do not allow for that. It's an impossibility. It just doesn't work that way, folks. So, I mean, let's briefly talk about numbers. How many animals are murdered in the, in the United States alone? Last year in 2011, in the United States alone, over, over, ready for this figure? 10 billion, with a B. Yes, 10 billion. That's a 10 with nine zeros after it. 10 billion animals, land animals only, were slaughtered in the United States alone in the year 2011. In one year over 10 billion. That's a low estimate. It was something like 10.3 billion was the actual figure. 10 over 10 billion with a B animals 
And if you factor in aquatic animals, animals that live in water, the sea or, or fresh water, the total number of animals killed for human consumption in the United States alone just last year, in one year, was, you ready for this? 65 billion animals with a B. 65 billion animals only in the United States. That's not the entire world. That is nine times more than the population, more than nine times greater than the population of the entire world as far as human beings go. Worldwide figures were astronomically higher. If you take the total amount of animals, both aquatic and land-raised, amount of animals slaughtered, killed at the hands of human beings for consumption of their dead flesh in the year 2011 alone in the world, the number is horrific. It's 150 billion animals. 150 billion animal lives were violently taken in the year 2011 alone by a human population of 7 billion people. That is over a 21 to 1 ratio for every person alive on the planet. And I ask people to ask only one question when it comes to looking at those figures. What is this practice doing energetically to the field of energy and consciousness in which we are all living? What do you think it's doing? And I ask you to say, try not to try to find out what it really is doing versus what you think or believe. Try to get actual empirical data about what that's actually doing. And it's possible to do that work. If you really want to know, that, that answer lies within all of us. The true answer to that question about what that is doing lies within each and every one of us. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're willing to do the work to go within ourselves to acquire that answer. You may not find that answer in a school book or an encyclopedia or even on the internet, but it exists and there is a truth regarding it. And I'll tell you what it's doing. And don't believe me. Try to know for yourself. That is turning the energetic vibratory energy, the vibratory dynamic of this planet into a hell world. These animals suffer inhumane and cruel treatment, often not even being able to stand, treated like a thing. You watch the movie Earthlings and put yourself in the position of one of those animals. And, and if you can't identify with that level of suffering, you're, you are a speciesist, as they call it in Earthlings, at the very, very best. But really, what I would say that someone who can't really foot... I would say if someone does not really have a deep, visceral, emotional gut reaction in a negative way to what they see in the movie Earthlings, you should be seriously concerned that you are already at least a secondary psychopath. And I know that's even, that's like, you know, 
a catch-22 because how can a psychopath really be concerned about anything? Well, maybe it's not because psychopaths are generally concerned about themselves, but they just don't care that they don't care. You know, that's how psychopathy works. So I'll, I'll suggest it in a different way. If you watch this movie with someone else and they don't have a visceral, emotional gut reaction to what they're seeing in a negative way, then you will be really empowered to know that you're probably most likely dealing with a psychopath. And I would say if you're going to watch it with somebody else, try to be wary about whether they're faking, feigning that concern, that emotional reaction. You could tell if, if you're good enough at reading people whether they're faking it or not. Because if it's not going to produce that, you know, empathetic, painful reaction in the human heart, I, I feel tragically sorry for anyone because they've been turned into something that is quite less than a human being and they've been robbed of a birthright, which is to truly feel. So that's my challenge and I'll be posting the link to the movie and I've told people in the past I didn't recommend them watching it because of that reason. I'm going to reverse my position on that and say if you really want to get involved in the real dynamic of why human freedom isn't a present condition here on the earth and probably is not going to be for a long, long, long time as long as we stay attached to these erroneous belief systems and these false axioms that we have built our behavior upon. Um, I would suggest that Earthlings is actually a good uh, movie to view to understand why that dynamic is in place. And I'm, next week, I'm going to really talk about the occult aspects of this dynamic and really get into the principle of correspondence. You know, I put a somewhat comical image, if you could even call it that, um, that I found out there floating around as an internet meme. A human being laying on a table with aliens around him saying all the different justifications for the continuance of carnism. Oh, we have our own problems. We don't have time to worry about whether they suffer or not. You know, and this guy's laying out on their feast table with an apple in his mouth surrounded by, you know, vegetables and trimmings. This is in image number 12. They kill other animals for our food, so why shouldn't we do the same? Oh, there's that erroneous logical fallacy, quote, unquote, natural argument. Don't worry, this one was killed humanely, quote, unquote. You know, the logical fallacy that you can murder some, something humanely. I do feel bad, but I could ne never give up my meat. It's just too tasty. Let's be honest, that's what the real justification is in, every, in everyone's mind. They don't want to employ the will. They don't want to exercise the will to change a be an existing behavior that is ultimately destructive and is ultimately creating part of the – it is part of the creating dynamic of why we are enslaved. And if you don't understand that, you still don't really get the why. You can only see the what. You can see the symptom and you might disagree with the symptom and you may not want the symptom present, but you still don't have the master key of why in hand that it's happening because you do not grasp the principle of correspondence, the law of correspondence, that as we do to others will be done unto us, the end for all eternity in all times and places. 
So if you don't want to create self-inflicted suffering and you want to be free, then do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. And that's the true Christian teaching and the true esoteric Christian perspective when it comes to this issue. I'll also talk about this fallacy of God giving us dominions over the animals that's taught in fake Christianity next week. That's all the time we have for this week, folks. I know it was hard-hitting. I know I've given you a lot to quote-unquote chew on. We'll see you here next week on What on Earth is Happening. Thanks for listening.